Recorded by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. excited like everybody else is excited but I just like to put it out there that apparently Ray will just sell you out you know what I'm saying I mean <laughs> you lucky you did such a good job this morning uh, the cameras in the back so that people don't know that I'm watching all right but thank you for putting it out there Ray it was crazy oh, I'm hearing joy 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 and I'm like what is going on it was awesome, and, and what Ray said is powerful. You know, he closed with the fact that the kids are down here jumping up and down, and, and as I came down the stairs uh, during uh, offering and announcements this morning, the, all the kids go up to the 7-Eleven classroom, and the door was still a little bit open, and their teacher this morning is uh, Mr. Carmelo, and I heard him, the first thing he said to the kids is, has anybody heard a new song? And he was asking them just about in general, in life, you know, a new worship song. And I could hear two little kids say, joy, joy, joy. Like, it's a new song. They just heard it this morning. It's like, wow. God's moving, amen? Amen. amen. Well, I want to get into it. Uh, good morning, first and foremost. Um, today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 20, so you guys can go ahead and turn there. The title of the message is going to be uh, The Upside-Down Kingdom. The Upside-Down Kingdom. I'm going to start um, in Acts chapter 17, but you guys can stay there in uh, Matthew chapter 20. This is Acts 17, though, so just, just listen to this. This is uh, verse 1 through 6. It says, When they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there, were, there was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul, as his custom was, he went into them, and for three Sabbaths, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Say scriptures. <laughs> Explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, this Jesus, whom I preach to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined with Paul and Silas. But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, they set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. We are a different type of people. We are called to turn the world upside down. Uh, this morning, as we look at the message, I believe God is going to show us what he means by turning the world upside down and how we're actually supposed to do that. The picture that I see in Acts chapter 17 um, is similar to what I heard Ray describing and what I'm feeling in the church this morning. You've got Paul coming into the city. He goes to the church, and for three weeks in a row, he's preaching and he's teaching the scriptures. He's telling them that Jesus, the Messiah, had to come and that Christ is the Messiah. And then there's this uproar in the city. Some people believe uh, uh, devout Greeks, many Jews. You know, we had Women's Day. I think there's like four of them throughout the year, but this week was Women's Day all over the world, I guess, something like that. It says that the leading women, they followed Paul, they followed Silas, but then there was this other uproar in the city where they went to the marketplace and they got these evil men and there was this battle, there was this clash that was taking place. And the word that they said was, 
The evil side versus the good side and the devout side is that those who have turned the world upside down have come here too. This morning, uh, I think that that's maybe what the city's feeling. Maybe that's what the world is feeling is that, hey, there they go again, trying to turn the world upside down, screaming about joy in the middle of trial and tribulation, teaching their kids to scream about joy when others are being tormented and having nightmares because of things they're seeing on social media. We didn't come to be a part of this world. We came to turn it upside down. Amen? Amen. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for allowing us to worship you. We thank you that when we come to worship you, you actually do something in our lives, in our souls, and in our spirit, Lord God. We thank you that you have blessed us, that you've given us of your spirit, Lord. We ask that you would help us this morning to be separated from the world. You say that we need to be separated. We need to be sanctified. We need to be set apart for you and for your will, for your destiny and the purpose that you have for our lives, Lord. This morning, Lord, we don't want to be integrated into the world. We want to be separated from it, Lord God. We want to turn it upside down, Lord, not to see it destroyed, but to see it come back to life, Lord God. To see those who are broken be healed to see the things which have been damaged be restored, Lord God, to see those that are hurting and dying on the inside, Lord, that you would be able to breathe life into them, Lord God. We came this morning for ourselves, Lord, to feel your spirit, to feel your presence, to be re-energized, Lord, and to find that joy that you've promised us, Lord. You say that you give it to us, but not as the world gives, Lord, in a temporary fashion, Lord God. You give it to us um, eternally, Lord, never to run out, never to run dry, Lord God, that you're always there for us that if we seek you, we'll find you. You've made these promises to us, Lord, and we've come, Lord, to receive what you've promised us, Lord, you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, amen. amen. All right. If you're in Acts, or excuse me, if you're in Matthew chapter 20, say upside down. Upside down. Here we go. Verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now, when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard, and he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, I'll give you. So they went. Again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, you will receive. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those came who were hired about the eleventh hour, they each received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more, and they likewise received each a denarius." And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first and the first last. For many are called, but few chosen. Stop there. Amen. Amen. It's going to be good. (laughs) Upside down. Something ain't right. Number one this morning, I want to talk about laborers. Laborers. So we live in a world that longs for fair, (laughs) right? Everybody wants things to be fair. We see unfairness. We see injustice. And if we're honest, we've been on both sides of unfairness and injustice. Somebody say amen. amen. We've experienced it where it's like, this is not fair. I can't believe I'm being cheated. I can't believe this is happening to me. This is an injustice. And we're not as loud and as boisterous when we're on the other side. But we all know that we've been in a position where we've treated somebody unfair. And we've done an injustice to someone. God's response to our longing for fairness and justice is not fairness and equality. We long for it. We long for fairness. We long for justice. And God's response is not fairness and it is not equality. If that's what you want, 
That's what you're longing for. That's what you're seeking. You're going to have to get it from somewhere else. God's response to the lack of fairness, God's response to injustice in the world is favor and grace and mercy. If you're taking notes, that's a good one. God's response to unfairness and injustice in this world is favor, grace, and mercy. It is not fairness or equality. This is Genesis chapter 19, verse 15. Story about someone we know named Lot. It says, when the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your, your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand and his wife's hand and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. We know this is about Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Fire and brimstone are about to come down. Verse 17, so it came to pass when they had brought them outside the city that he said, escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. Then Lot said to them, please know, my lords. Indeed, now your servant has found favor in your sight. And you have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. See now, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Please let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said to him, See, I have favored you concerning this thing also, in that I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry and escape there. God's about to rain down fire and brimstone. God's about to judge this city for immorality and faithlessness. And it's really not fair that Lot and his family get to escape. They have no right to escape other than or any more than anybody else in that city. It's not fair. God shows favor on him because he knows Abraham. Sometimes that what you know, it's who you know. Yes. So God shows favor on him and mercy on him, and not only just regular favor and mercy, I mean, forget fairness, he literally sends angels and grabs them by their hands. Lot, come on. Daughters, come on. Wife, come on. Drags them out of the city to safety. And as if that's not enough, Lot's like, I don't really want to go where you want me to go. I'd rather go to this place. Is that okay? And he says, yes, I'll have more favor on you. Just escape. Just live. First question I have for you this morning. Do you really want fair or do you want favor? I think in our lives, most of us complain most about things being unfair when we should be looking for favor. See, the nature of favor and grace and mercy is based on unfairness. <laughs> It's all about giving people something that they don't deserve. Yeah. Amen. It's not favor and mercy and grace that lines up with fairness. It's favor and mercy and grace that is completely opposite and contrary to fairness. What Lot found was everything but fair. And what God offers us is everything but fair. From the outset, God challenges our thinking. We think we know the best ways to deal with unfairness and injustice. When we see it, we begin to formulate a plan. If this happens, and if that happens, and if the boss does this, and if I do that, and if the spouse does this, and if the kids do that, everything's going to work out, and it's going to be fair. We do it by nature. We don't even have to think about it. That's how our minds work most of the time. In Genesis, Adam and Eve fall into sin, and it doesn't even take but a minute, and they start trying to figure out how to deal with it. They say, here's the big idea. We feel shame and we feel guilt, right? Something's not right. It's not fair that that serpent lied to us. Let's fix it. What are we going to do? Let's cover ourselves. Let's cover the sin and let's cover the shame. There's some fig leaves. We've got this under control. 
God's idea is to remove sin completely and to remove guilt completely and to remove shame completely. The difference is Adam and Eve have a quick fix. Within minutes, they're going to feel a little bit better. God's idea is going to take thousands of years. And it's about favor and grace and mercy. Our world functions on a principle called the retribution principle or the reaping and sowing principle. What it means is good is rewarded, bad is punished, right? If you sow well, you're going to reap well. If you don't sow well, when harvest time comes, there's not going to be anything to reap. That's how we think. That's how we function. That's how the world actually works. What have you done? Okay, then this is what you deserve. What did you not do? Well, then you don't deserve anything, right? Think about it. That's how it works in your workplace. That's how it works in your marriage. Most of the time, that's how it works with your kids. But today in Matthew chapter 20, we're being reminded that this principle, and it's a principle that God established. Somebody say amen. Amen. God made that principle, reaping and sowing, rewarding those who do right and show faithfulness and judging those that don't. However, it's about an upside down kingdom sometimes. In chapter 20, what we're going to see is God reminding us that that principle does not handcuff God. We can't force God into a particular action. This is what a lot of us like to do, especially when we come into faith and we become Christians. We're like, oh, I get it now. I sow and then I reap. If I do good, God is going to bless me. And then what we begin to do is say, okay, well, this is what I'm going to do. And then God, you must do that. God's like, hold on a minute. (laughs) You must have forgot who I am. You don't get to force me to do anything. It's not designed to remove God from the equation, and that's what we want to do. We want to be able to say, well, God, that person worked one hour and got $10. I worked eight hours. You are forced to give me $80. We don't even need you in the equation, God. I don't need you to speak. I don't need you to give me revelation. I don't need you to do anything. You establish a principle. We don't need you anymore. Let's look at the groups in the story here in Matthew chapter 20. You got the early birds. They started most likely around 6 a.m. going out to work. They agreed to be paid a denarius for a day's work, right? They're out there early. The landowner comes. They pull out a contract and they sign it and, and they go to work. The middle group, there's, there's three of these in the middle group. There's the uh, 9 o'clock group, the third hour, 9 a.m. The, uh, the next group is noon, 12 o'clock, all right? <clears throat> the sixth hour. And then the ninth hour is uh, the 3 p.m. group. So some of them started at 9 in the morning, some of them started at noon, and some of them started at 3 in the afternoon. And they made an agreement with the Lord, but there's, or excuse me, they made an agreement with the landowner, but there's a little bit different. They said, I'll pay you whatever I think is right. That's what the landowner said to them. First group signed a contract, one denarius for the day's work. Second group, some of them started at nine, some of them started at 12, some of them started at three, and he says, hey, I'm the landowner, I'll pay you what I think is right when the day's over, okay? And then the last group, the 11th hour group, started at 5 p.m., and they also agreed to be paid whatever the landowner thought was right. And they go into work in this vineyard. This story about the upside-down kingdom, I think God is trying to teach each group something different. He wants us to understand something as well, but um, let me rephrase that. God is teaching one point, but he's teaching it in three different ways because he's dealing with three different groups. Okay. Let me point something out about each of these groups again. Verse 1 says, a landowner went out early in the morning to hire laborers. Say laborer. So the first group was already out early in the morning and they were looking for work. They were willing to work all day long and the landowner went out looking for them, right? This is how the story starts. The landowner gets up early, he goes out, he's like, I need laborers for my vineyard and I'm looking for people who want to work. I'm looking for people who are already out there hoping that they have somewhere to go to work today. Verse 3 
says that he went out about the third hour and he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. So the second group, they came out later, right? They're the ones that slept in, but they're kind of like, I still want to work. <laughs> six o'clock in the morning, they weren't out there. Five o'clock in the morning, they weren't out there ready to start work at six. The Lord, or excuse me, the landowner goes out there. He sees this early group of people ready to start work at six o'clock. He goes back to the vineyard, starts them working. He comes back out at 9 a.m., noon, and three. And now there's others who are out there. But he says that they're standing idle in the marketplace. It's a different kind of group of people. But he says, you know what? Y'all want to do some work? Come on. I got a vineyard. Let's go to work. <clears throat> they're not called laborers. They're called others. Verse 6 and verse 7 says, About the 11th hour he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one hired us. So this is a third group of people. Now it's 5 o'clock. They're still hanging out in the marketplace. The landowner rolls up on them, and he says, Why have you guys been out here all day? in the marketplace, just talking and wasting time. But this group makes excuses. We're only out here because nobody hired us. It's not their fault that they're not working. It's not their fault that they haven't done anything all day. It's actually the fault of other people who didn't see their value and hire them to go to work. You see the three different groups of people here? Somebody say amen. So what's the main lesson that God is trying to teach them and trying to teach us in all these different ways? First, he wants the 11th hour group to understand how lucky they are to come late and get more than they deserve. If he's just looking at those ones that it's 5 o'clock, they're still there hanging out, he comes, has a little conversation with them, he still brings them into the vineyard to labor, they work for one hour. And he didn't even tell them how much they were going to make. He just said, whatever's right, I'm going to give it to you. Can you imagine if they went to work for one hour and they got that Daenerys? They're like, man, this is a lot of money, especially for an hour. He just wants them to know how lucky they should feel to get more than they deserve. This is the group that was blaming other people for their situation. But God doesn't bring other people into the equation. That makes sense? Their focus is on other people. They're sitting out, hanging out, living a life that's not accomplishing anything, and they're blaming other people. But when they come into the vineyard and they go to work, they get lucky and get blessed with more than they deserve, and God doesn't bring other people into the equation. Just deals with them in this kind of one-on-one -on -one way, which I think is important. I think a lot of times, those who are focused on other people, God doesn't want to talk to you about other people. A lot of people don't come to counseling for me anymore because as soon as they start talking about other people, I'm like, I don't care about other people. Let's talk about you. And they're like, well, I'm going to go find somebody I can talk about other people with. <laughs> but isn't it interesting that, that that's what God does here? He's like, I don't want to talk about other people and whose fault it is and why you were still there. Just want to give you more than you deserve. The middle group. I think God wants them to know how lucky they are for receiving more than they deserve also. Uh, but not to have to worry about what it would be like to be in either of the other two groups, right? So this particular group starts in the middle of the day. And at the end of the day, they get their pay. And they're like, dang, this is, this is more than I deserve. But at the same time, they're not focused on the people who came after them. And they're not focused on the people that came before them. It's really, really hard to do. Imagine when they showed up, they realized, oh, man, we're not the first ones here. They came in at 9 o'clock or they came in at 12 o'clock. They came in at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and they look around. They're like, man, there's a lot of people working in this vineyard already. We're not the first here. And then as they're working, more people start showing up, and they're like, man, we're not the last here. So when they come to get their pay at the end of the day, they're like, whoa, a denarius? I got here at 9. I got here at 12. I got here at 3. I got the hookup. But I'm not going to focus on who came after me, and I'm not going to focus on who was here before me. <clears throat> there are some people who have an ability to look at those who have less than them and look at those who have more than them without making, it, making themselves go crazy. Amen. It's hard. 
A lot of us, when we have something and we see people who have less than us, you know what stirs up in us? Pride. I have more than you because I deserve more than you. I have more than you because I work harder than you. I have more than you because I'm worth more than you. And then there's another group of people that when they look at people who have more than them, they covet. Why do they have a nice car? Why do they have a nice house? Why is their marriage strong? Why are their kids going to school? And inside of them, there's this covetousness. I want what they have, and I think I deserve it more than they do. I think that's the group of people the Lord's trying to deal with here. He says, look, there are people who are here before you. There are people who came after you. There are people who have more than you, and there are people who have less than you. All you need to be focused on is that you got more than you deserve. Don't covet what others have, and don't be prideful if you have more than others have. And then we get to the last group, the all-day folks. I think he wants them to understand that even though he gave the 11th hour group a full day's wage, he knows they didn't deserve it. But it doesn't mean that the all-day group has somehow been cheated. Right? Think about that for a second. You've been out there all day. That's what they said. Man, we bore the, the heat. We woke up at 345 when everybody else was still sleeping, and we came out here looking for work, holding signs, talking about all work. I've been out here in the field since 6. You're bringing these people in at 9 and 12 and 3 and 5 o'clock, and they worked for an hour? And you gave them a denarius? Now it's my turn. I know I'm about to get paid. I'm about to get a crazy bonus. <laughs> and I think what God is trying to tell, to tell them is, listen, don't be fooled. Don't think that I don't understand they didn't deserve what they got. Yeah. I'm not foolish. I know the difference between somebody who worked for 12 hours and somebody who worked for one hour. However, I haven't cheated you. That lesson that the other two groups already understood, the, the late group was just so excited to get what they got, they took it and went home. The middle group was so grateful to have what they had and something within them knew not to compare to either other group. But this third group, they had a lesson to learn. Don't think about what others have. I haven't cheated you. I came and got you in the morning. You were so excited to go to work. We made a contract and you said a denarius. That's, that's pretty good. I'm going to take that. And here it is the end of the day and I'm giving you exactly what we agreed upon. But you're not happy. You're not not happy because of who you are and you're not not happy because of who I am as a landowner. You're not happy because your focus is on these other people. You have not been cheated. The first group has to be able to make that comparison, understand that God's made the same comparison, but we can't be compelled to renegotiate. Maybe a better way to say that is we can't change the terms without going to the landowner and renegotiating. Right? They're standing here and they see it and it's frustrating and it's hard to work all day especially after they see what happened with how much other people got paid. But they tried to renegotiate the terms without talking to the landowner. They just assumed that they were going to get paid more. What they should have done, if they, if they wanted to get paid more, they should have came to the landowner and said, hey, I see that some things have changed since 6 o'clock this morning. <laughs> I'm hoping that maybe you'll give me an opportunity to renegotiate my wage because of what I see others have made here. I still don't think it would have worked out too well for them, but that would have been better than just saying, I deserve more. But what about us this morning? I think these three groups are awesome. The 11th hour folks, the midday folks, and the, the all day folks. But I'm most concerned with the two day folks, <laughs> you and I. We're sitting here today, and I think God has a lesson for us as well. This is what I think the hidden jewel is in this, in this whole story. Even those who worked the full day didn't deserve the wage they received. See, that's what's missing in the story. That's what we don't really realize. I think most of us, if we're honest this morning, we're really thinking, man, that first group deserved more. 
right? Don't raise your hand. You know it's true. <laughs> that first group, man, those early morning people that went out and they were ready and they worked. They bore the heat of the day. They labored all day. They deserved more. No, the real moral to the story is that they didn't even deserve what they got. Everybody got more than they deserved. Imagine you go to work tomorrow and you're arguing with the boss. Same story. You're like, look, I've been here for five years. I've been working really hard. I do everything that I'm supposed to do and then some. And this new person, they've been here for five months. And I can't believe when I, when I found out that you're paying them the same thing that you're paying me, it's unbelievable. I'm actually training them. And you're paying us the same thing after all the work I do and all the extra stuff I do for you. You're just angry and you're frustrated. Imagine the boss says to you tomorrow, listen, I understand your frustration, but I just feel compelled. I, I just want to pay you $250 an hour and I want to pay them $250 an hour. How foolish would you feel? We ain't talking about $10 or $20 an hour. You're both getting paid $250 an hour. You're all making more than you deserve. Would you be saying that if you were making $250 an hour? No, because you would realize that you're all getting paid more than you deserve, right? The people in this story didn't understand it, and we don't understand it. See, fair would be the boss coming and establishing everything that you're doing and everything that they're doing. They say, okay, they deserve $8 an hour, and you deserve $10 an hour. And then the Lord says, man, I don't want fair. I want favor, $250 an hour for both of you. And yet we still complain because we think we want fair. The sooner we understand this, I think we'll, the sooner we'll be able to understand what really matters to God and really understand how God is working. What is this story about? It's not about wages. It's not about 250 versus 8 or 10. It's not about what time you started work and what time you finished work. It's not about the different types of people that came to labor and where they came from. Were they up and early and ready to do it? Were they middle of the day, kind of want to work, but kind of want to chill? Were they late in the day, just want to talk and don't care about work? None of that matters. The story is about salvation. The story is about salvation, the favor, grace, and mercy of God. We're supposed to look back from today and see that Jesus went out looking for people and he offered them all salvation and then he offered them all access to the Holy Spirit and then he offered them all access to the Father in heaven. It didn't matter what time they came. It didn't matter what they thought they were going to receive, a denarius or more or less. What he went out to offer them was everything. Everything for everyone. He offers the same salvation. He offers the same access whether you are an all-day Israelite who come from the line of Abraham, right? They were there the longest. Somebody say amen. amen. So God calls Abraham, and he starts a nation, and they go through hundreds of years of all these things that God is doing, and God offers them salvation. You've been here all day. And then in the middle of the day, God begins to offer these Roman soldiers. He begins to offer these persecutors of the, of the kingdom, the same kind of access, the same kind of salvation. They come to him and their servants or their kids are sick and dying and, and God says, man, I'll give you everything. And then late in the day, the 11th hour, 2019, there's this group of people in a building in Brea shouting, joy, joy, joy. You know you're the 11th hour? You've been here for about five minutes. These Israelites have been bearing the heat of the day for hundreds and hundreds of years. And that's the problem in the story in Acts. What did it say? That some of the Jews, they're like, nah, no. Paul, you ain't going to roll up in here and have these Greeks and all these people talking about our God like he belongs to them too. And they said, what? No, we came to turn the world upside down. It doesn't matter if you're an all-day Israelite or an 11th hour Southern California. Uh, Jesus came to give us everything to everybody. Amen. So who are you to go to work tomorrow? and be upset about what you get? Who are you to look across the church and be upset about how somebody's being used compared to how you're being used? Yes, 
Who are you to be upset about what you think you have and why you've been asked to give when others have more and they should do the giving? Man, it's upside down, church. Which kingdom are you a part of? Who's the landowner in your story? Which category of the three do you really fall into? I think we all think we're the all-day group, but the reality is we're the 11th hour group. I think the next couple of verses draw our attention to that this, is, this story is about salvation. But it would seem out of place when you read the story, the first portion of chapter 20 and the last portion. This seems out of place, but hopefully now it doesn't seem out of place to you. After this story, look at what Jesus says, Matthew chapter 20, verse 17. Now Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the 12 disciples aside on the road and said to them, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify, and the third day he will rise again. Man, I thought we were talking about a vineyard and how much money people are making. We ain't talking about a vineyard and how much money people are making. We're talking about salvation, and I am the one who's going to provide it. The first portion is about the laborers. The second portion is about the owner. Jesus is the landowner. Jesus is the one that goes out in these verses and he's telling his story about how I made my fortune. (laughs) That's the story Jesus is telling in these middle verses, right? He's like, listen, I'm the landowner in the story. And the story just kind of starts like, hey, there's a landowner and he he goes out and he starts getting people and paying them to come work in his vineyard, right? Just like, let me tell you real quick about the landowner and how he made his fortune. How did he become so wealthy that he could pay all these people? How many of us even cared before a second ago about the landowner (laughs) and how he got to where he is? Jesus tells us that he made his fortune and he obtained his riches through his death. How did I get so rich? I died for it. I gave my life for these riches. I gave my life for this wealth. And what are you doing with the wealth that you lived for and that you died for and that you obtained? You're going out to find people that you can give it to. Wow. So we've got the laborers, we've got the owner, and then the last portion, uh, chapter 20, verse 20, we're gonna look at the last group says, then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your kingdom. Zebedee's sons are James and John, right? We know that they're two of the 12 disciples and they're two that are the closest to Jesus. Who are the three? Peter, James, and John, right? So Zebedee's sons, their mother of James and John comes to Jesus And starts asking him, hey, I want my sons to sit on your right hand and your left hand. Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm about to be baptized with? They said to him, we are able. So she comes to ask the question and she's got uh, James and John behind her, hiding behind their mama. She asked the question, but Jesus responds to them because he knows that they really want to ask the question. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. So Jesus responds to them, do you, do you guys even know what you're asking for? Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? They don't understand that what he's talking about is, listen, I got to go die for the seat that I have. Are you willing to die for the seat on my right and on my left? And they say, oh, yeah, we're willing. We're able to drink it, even though they don't even know what they've committed to. Verse 23, so he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my father. Jesus is is reminding them. It's so, so amazing. Jesus is like, listen, there's somebody who's over me, too. You guys think because you see what I'm doing, you see the power I have, you know that I'm the Messiah. But listen, He said elsewhere, right? I only do the things that my father does. I only say the things that he tells me to say. 
Don't forget that there's somebody ahead of me or above me, and he'll decide who sits on my right and on my left. Verse 24, when the ten heard it, so good. When the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. Now think about this. You've got 12 disciples, and they're all working together for the same company, Jesus Incorporated. <laughs> and all of a sudden, two of the, of the team of 12 get with their mom and sneak up on Jesus. Like, hey, can, can my boys get a promotion? Can my boys get a promotion? And then the 10 hear about it, and it's the same story. Who do they think they are? Why do they think that they should get a promotion and I shouldn't get a promotion? If anybody deserves a promotion, it's me. <laughs> what a great story. The 10 heard it. They were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them all to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Ooh, it's an upside down kingdom. <laughs> it's an upside down kingdom. Jesus said, look at the other kingdoms and how they want to lord authority over and take the highest positions. He says, in my kingdom, in Jesus Incorporated, <laughs> it doesn't work like that. It's upside down. You want to be the best, you serve the most. You want the highest position, it's position of slave and servitude. It's an upside down kingdom. So the last group is who? Management. You got the laborers that we started off with. You got the owner, right? And now you've got management. He's got these 12 managers. The, only, the owner tells a story of these different types of laborers. Then he tells the story of how he came into all his riches. And now he tells us the story of his management principles. The message is titled Upside Down Kingdom because not only are things upside down for the laborers, but it's upside down for the managers too. Right. Management's job is to serve the laborers. How many of you feel like in the company you work for, management's job is clearly to serve the laborers? I work in construction, and, and laborers are literally called laborers. <laughs> and I don't know how many of them would come and say, oh, yeah, management, foremen, superintendents, project managers. They look at me as somebody that they are there to serve. No, the laborers are there to serve the purposes of the foreman and the superintendent and the project managers. We tell you what we want to get done, and then you go out and make it happen. We're not here to serve you and equip you and prepare you and train you and make sure that you're blessed. Jesus says, oh, I have an upside down kingdom, I'm sorry. Look at verse 25 through 27. He called them to himself. He said, you know the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. Those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. Whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. If you're not a manager, how many of you want to be managers so that you can work harder and make the job of the laborer easier? And you hope that they make the same amount of money that you make, if not more. <laughs> That's the criteria when Jesus is hiring. He says, hey, I'm looking for managers. Okay, what's the job description? You're going to work harder than you are right now as a laborer. Okay, what else is in the job description? Okay, the laborers that are working now, you actually want to make it easier for them to do their job, so you're going to have to do some of what they're doing in addition to managing. Yep. Okay, and on top of that, you think you're going to get a raise, and you might. However, the end goal is that we want every laborer to make more than every manager. Amen. Well, then I don't want the job anymore. 
That's upside down. I want to become a manager so I can not have to work as hard as I work now and not have to labor as hard as I do now and not have to do the physical work. I want to work with my mind. And I want an increase in pay because now I'm managing and supervising others. Jesus is like, oh, that's not how it works in my kingdom. I'm sorry. That's how it works in your company. That's how it works in corporations in 2019. But not in my kingdom. This is the call that Jesus puts out to his managers and to his disciples and to his leaders. This is what we teach in our church for elders and for ministry leaders and for life group hosts. This ain't a job to do less. This is a job to do more. (laughs) This ain't a job to get more blessing. This is a job to make sure that blessings get distributed. This ain't a job to see what else God can do in your life. This is a job to see what else God can do in the lives of others. When God called the disciples, when Jesus called the disciples, he didn't do any miracles in their lives. Think about that for a second. He was like, hey, Get out of that boat and what you got and come follow me. Hey, I saw you sitting under a tree. No more trees. You're going to follow me now. Hey, you had some money. Get rid of everything. You don't even need anything. Wherever we're going, you know, somebody's going to take care of us. Now think about that. He didn't do any of these crazy miracles in their life. And then as soon as they started following him, he started doing miracles in the life of all these other people. That doesn't make sense. We're the ones that followed you. We're the ones that left everything. Where's my miracle? Oh, I'm sorry, you didn't understand. My managers are the ones that help me distribute miracles to others, not the recipients. I'm going to multiply all this food and you guys are going to hand it out, not eat it. (laughs) What kind of corporation is this? Oh, this is the kingdom of heaven and it's upside down. I'm sorry. You want to be in management, we need to do more. We need to sacrifice more. We need to suffer more so that others can be blessed. We don't use that as an excuse not to read, not to pray, not to give, and not to worship. Some people are looking for incentives. Okay, I'll do that. But I'm not going to tie too, because I mean, I'm giving my time. No, you don't get to do, not do the normal things. You got to keep doing everything else and then do more. You know, Ray mentioned earlier what a beautiful thing it is to teach financial peace. And when people, when the light bulb goes off and they're like, I can't believe I'm doing it backwards, not just wrong, but completely backwards. He says, man, when he sees that happen to somebody and they get it and they they begin to ask the right questions, which is like, Lord, how are you going to help me? How are you going to change it? What do we have to do? What are you going to do? What a beautiful thing it is. For me as the pastor, uh, it's beautiful when people realize um, that this whole thing is about serving others and not about themselves. When that light bulb goes off, that's how I feel, Raymond. I'm like, oh, they got it. When, I, when they realize that, man, this isn't something I should complain about. This is something I should rejoice about. I'm like, oh, they got it. When they see other people being blessed and the first thought is not why them and not me, I'm like, oh, they got it. Amen. And then I'm like, oh, thank you for reminding me, Lord, because I forgot. See, the, the, the group of laborers in the first story The whole story to them was about them. They got up early. They were ready to work. They went to work. And then everything else is about what they didn't get and what they didn't receive and how they deserve more. The last thing they were thinking about is, man, I'm so happy that these other people that would have went home with nothing today got something. Man, I'm so happy that the landowner, instead of breaking it down and giving everybody a little bit less and a little bit less and a little bit less, man, he was so Uh, merciful and graceful that he gave everybody a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. Those are the ones that the Lord wants to be in management. Going deeper into this kind of life, this upside down kingdom, that's where um, you'll find the miracles, right? Like 
the disciples, they had to just keep going down this road and keep going down this road. And somewhere really far off, that's where they found their miracles. When other people had already received theirs, they didn't pull back. They pressed in and they kept serving and they kept going. And eventually they found the miracles that God had for them. Verse 28 says, Jesus says, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So the Lord told us how he made his fortune. But listen to this. He doesn't stay rich by oppressing the poor and doing less as time goes on. He gains wealth by making the poor rich and doing more for others as time goes on. Think about that. Listen, in our world and in our kingdom, usually you get rich by oppressing others, not by sharing. You give less to others, which means you gain more, and that's how you keep your wealth, is by continuing to give less to others and continuing to hold on to more for yourself. The Lord says, I got rich by dying, giving my whole life for others, and in the way that I stay rich and gain more wealth is by making the poor rich. It's completely opposite. It's upside down. He says, if I can look out and make all the hungry people fed, all the blind people see, all the broken people healed, all the poor people rich, that's how I'm going to gain wealth. Not by saying, look, I could do that, but it's going to cost me too much. I wonder for you and I if we've come to realize it yet. I would say that most, if not all, of your needs will be met by you meeting the needs of others. Withholding is not going to do anything for you. Oppressing others is not going to do anything for you. Making the whole story about you is not going to do anything for you. I think about it a lot as a pastor when people tell me, I can't believe what you do and how you do and all the time. Man, I'm so rich. I was, I was in such poverty when all I cared about was me. I was always broke. And there was always more need than I had resources. I'm rich now. Look at these three verses. Matthew chapter 20, verse 16, verse 27, and then Matthew 19, 30. Matthew 20, 16 says, The last will be first, and the first last, for many are called, but few chosen. Matthew 20, 27 says, Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. And Matthew 19, 30 says, But many who are first will be last, and the last first. These are verses we've heard. They've come up in the last two chapters but I hope that they're a little bit clearer what the Lord is saying about his kingdom this morning. If we look at this from the perspective of time and history, right, the, the history of, of the world, we could say that we are the last generation, right? Like, I'm not sure if the Lord's going to come back, but as far as the generations that have come, we're the last one, all right? Adam and Eve were the first, and we're the last. But we are first, why? Because we live in the day and age of the Holy Spirit filling men and women um, with his love and with his power and with his presence, where we come into a building and start shouting joy when we didn't even plan to, but the Spirit said, this is what you're going to do today. Like, we're the first to live in this time of being filled with the Holy Spirit. We're the first to live in a time where Jesus is worshipped worldwide. You can go to any country on the planet and you'll find worshipers of Jesus. Man, we're first. Imagine what it was like the first were actually last, where they had to huddle and hide. They had to have people drag them out of their house and say, these followers of Jesus, we need to stomp them out. So we can look at it at time and history. But I think I want to look at the first and the last from position right here today. Those that make themselves last positionally, those that make themselves slaves and servants to others, will find themselves first in communion with Christ. Christ's spirit, the Holy Spirit, is a servant. He is a servant. He came to serve, not to be served. So if we would make ourselves servants, if we would make ourselves slaves, if we would surrender ourselves and meet the needs of others, you will find yourself to be the first to encounter the presence of God. That's right. Because that's what he's doing. 
I challenge everyone this week and moving, up, moving forward, try to make yourself last in your relationships. Try to make yourself last in your friendships. Try to make yourself last in your workplace. Serve the people that are the hardest to serve. Help the people who are actually trying to oppress you and make life more difficult on you. Watch and see what happens to you. Challenge you to show up to your life groups and jump up and down and volunteer to bring the main course. <laughs> Don't go to be served, go to serve. Go to your life groups and say, I will not leave without cleaning. Go to your life group and say, man, I wonder which one of these other couples or singles or kids I can bless instead of, man, I hope I get blessed this week. When you look at your marriage and like, man, I need a date night and I need, I need some help, I challenge you to show up with a gift card for some other couple to have a date night. And watch what happens to your life. It's a, it's a secret, kind of, but it's, it's pretty much here. It's an upside-down kingdom. <laughs> if you do things that way, crazy things will happen in your life. That's right. When you realize that that's the way to your blessings, it's a game-changer. Let's close. Uh, worship team, Isaiah, would you come? I want to read the last five verses of the chapter as if we haven't heard enough. <laughs> Listen to how the chapter ends. You've got the laborers, you've got the owner, and then we just talked about management. Now listen to how the chapter ends. Matthew chapter 20, verse 29. Now as they went out of Jericho, ooh, Jericho, they're in this place of bondage. They're in this place of walls. They're in this place where miracles need to happen and walls need to come down, right? Or they're in the place where those things have already happened and they should be remembering it, right? They went out of Jericho, and a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Be fair to us! Be just to us! Give us what everybody deserves! Is that what it said? Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Man, we want favor. We want mercy. We want grace. We don't want fairness, church. They cried out saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet. Who are you to ask the Messiah to give you something you don't deserve? Be quiet. But they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. We know we don't deserve it. We're not looking for fair. We're just looking for mercy. Give us something we don't deserve. Bless us. Show favor, Lord. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. This is where seminary becomes reality. Jesus got finished teaching Kingdom 101 class. He was, he was in the classroom with his disciples, and he was telling them a story about a vineyard. Then he was telling them about uh, the crucifixion, then he was teaching them about what it meant to be in management and how the kingdom was upside down. So this was all seminary, classroom talk. But now it becomes reality. Now he's on Channel 2 Eyewitness News, live and in living color, and there's somebody that has a need. And what does Jesus do as the owner, as the rich one? He doesn't ask, well, what can you do for me? What are you willing to do for your sight? He just says, what would you like me to do for you? 
how can I bless you? How can I give to you? How can I show you favor and mercy and grace? Isn't that the same thing that he told uh, James and John's mother? What would you like me to do for you? Like that's his first response. How many of us is that our first response? Hey, what can I do for you? Jesus teaches it, then he lives out the upside down kingdom. And he shows us that the, the key is serving others. The key is serving others. And then listen to this. He blesses them and he, he gives them their sight. He gives them what they wanted. He's rich and he can do it. He's powerful and he can do it. He gives it to them. And then what does it say? They followed him. What does that mean? It means that they became workers in the vineyard. For you and I, I hope that uh, we see what the Lord wants from us. I hope that we understand that it's an honor to labor in the vineyard. We understand that uh, seeing others come into the vineyard, be blessed in the vineyard, labor in the vineyard alongside of us, there's no reason for comparison. There's only reason for joy. That the focus shouldn't be on what we're receiving. It should be on how we're helping and blessing others, how we're honoring God for who he is as the owner of everything, how we're all getting more than we deserve. <laughs> we're all getting more than we deserve. Why don't you guys stand with me? Anybody here not saved and want to be before you, uh, you leave this morning? Would you raise your hand and wave at me and say, I want Jesus... I want to be saved. I want to serve him. I want to be in the vineyard. I know he's offering me more than I deserve, and I'm ready. Anybody this morning? Amen. For the rest of us, I, I, it's a simple altar call, and then I'm going to open it up for uh, uh, communion. Open it up for you just to be able to worship and pray and be prayed for. But here's the altar call this morning. I'd like those to, to come who... Maybe you realize that uh, you fall into one of those categories of those laborers, or maybe you fall into one of those categories of management, but you, you've lost sight of, of what it's really all about, that maybe you're operating in the worldly kingdom and not in the upside-down kingdom of the Lord. Maybe you find yourself comparing yourself to others a lot or comparing what others have and you don't have. Maybe you find yourself having a little bit of pride about what you've acquired compared to what some um, are lacking. Just any of those areas, um, I believe that, that God would have you to come so that he could once again give you more than you deserve. Yeah. You know, he says that my altar is an altar of grace and mercy. You're not coming for him to shame you. You're coming for him to say, hey, it's okay. I wrote about this a long time ago. <laughs> I've got the answer. And maybe as you would come this morning, maybe these are the words that you would hear from the Lord. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Maybe we might ask for, for eyes to see, ears to hear, liberality in our giving to others, humbling ourselves and becoming slaves and servants of all, not looking, about, looking at it as far as what you can receive, um, but way, maybe ways that uh, the Lord might use you to bless others. So I'm going to open the altars and I'm going to pray. Lord, as we come, we know that, uh, that you love us. We know that you care. We know that you have something. That if we just ask, if we just humble ourselves, if we just remain honest with you, Lord, we don't want to remain where we've been. We want to be part of the upside-down kingdom. We want, we want to be part of the group when they say, those who have turned the world upside-down have come here as well, Lord. We want that to, uh, to classify us, Lord. We don't want to be served. We want to serve. We don't want to be in it just for what we can receive. We want to rejoice as we see others being blessed and receiving God. Lord, deal with our pride. If you've blessed us and you've given unto us, Lord, and we look down upon others that have less, Lord, oh, Lord, just rip that out of us. Change us, Lord. Remind us of our salvation. Remind us that what we have, we don't even deserve. You've given us more than we deserve, Lord God. If we're looking at others who have more, Lord, don't let us covet 
Don't let us look at that and say, we deserve it and we want more and we will not rest until we have what they have, Lord. Let us just be content with what you've given us, Lord. Let us have your heart. Let us take what we have as we heard the woman with her last two mites and she gave it all. Let us be the type of men and women who are willing to give it all so that others can have some. And let us have faith that by doing so, will be first to commune with you. That is your way. That is what you've done. That is how you became as rich as you are. And that is how you stay wealthy and gain increase. Lord, you continue to give and give and give. And you only ask, what else can I do for you, Lord? We want to be like you. Turn our lives upside down here at this altar this morning. And then let us commune with you, Lord. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.